Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. West Ham are top of the league, but all eyes are on Liverpool against Chelsea this weekend. So much to tuck into as ever on another huge episode of the Gagapod. So let's get started. Yes, hi everyone, and we're back for another big edition of the Gagan Pod. Match week two is done, fresh off West Ham, beating Leicester 4-1 on Tuesday morning. We'll discuss that off the top of the show. They are top of the league on six points, two wins, level with Chelsea, Liverpool, Brighton, Tottenham, but ahead on goal difference. But you sense there is a big four emerging. And to discuss that, we have our Gagan Pod big three to do so. Thomas Sorensen, Mark Schwarzer and Michael Bridges. Great to see you all spotted across the world today. Four different locations for us to discuss all the talking points from the world of football. Bridgie, do you first? Good morning. Good to see you. How are you doing? Absolutely fantastic, Dave. It's um, still tough being in lockdown, but I'll tell you what, all the Premier League action over the weekend has just been magnificent to watch and it's kept me um, kept me going, Dave. And yet again, the Gagan Pod, meeting the boys, Swartzy and Tommy again and discuss all the action. I cannot wait. Beautiful. Swartzy, how are you travelling? No Premier League addings on the weekend for you? No, no, not, not at all, mate. I'm, I'm actually abroad, so I'm out in Spain uh, enjoying the high life. Um, watching from afar and Bridgie just completely lied, lied through his nose there because he was talking before and went on the camera. He was like, can't, let's just get this over with. I can't stand you guys. <laughs> I would never say that big man. I'm feeling a little bit fragile. I've had my second, second vaccine and I'm feeling a little bit down. I've got aches and pains all over Dave, but football will get me through it. That is the you, cure. You look disheveled. Let's be honest. You do. <laughs> Lucky it's a podcast. Lucky for the four of us, it's a podcast, to be honest, at the hour that we're recording here for, for all four of us. But uh, we get it. football's got us through the last 18 months, hasn't it, Tommy? And uh, what have you enjoyed over the weekend? You know, I think, uh, you know, obviously, it's a special day at Anfield, uh, you know, the game there, um, you know, some cracking goals, some, some great individual performances. Uh, so, you know, the Premier League just keeps delivering, um, you know, uh, after just hearing Swartz's plans of, of playing golf and enjoying the sunshine and, you know, get a bit of red wine and, and some beautiful cheese and stuff. Uh, you know, he's put me right back in the basement. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just glad that uh, we've got the Premier League to talk about this morning. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I agree with you, Tom. The, the Anfield crowd gave me chills on Saturday night. Watching all of that gives me chills. But from our side of the world, it is... It does play with the, it is pretty weird to watch, I gotta say, but it is amazing and takes you to another planet, which we're gonna do over the next 40 minutes or 50 minutes or so. We'll take you to another planet just with the jibber we're gonna talk about, but also by taking you to the Premier League football world. West Ham this morning, Bridgie four, Leicester one, Pablo Four Niles with the opening goal, uh, Yuri Tillemans with a with a 
brought it back to 2-1 after uh, for Leicester as well. But Mikel Antonio with a double laid on to become West Ham's greatest ever scorer, going past Palo de Canio as well. Although this game, and jump on the Optusport app and the socials for the highlights of all the goals and as well of this incident I'm about to talk about, swung big time on an Ayerze Perez red card as well. Yeah, what an incredible match. I've got to say, West Ham are one of the teams I thought might fall by the wayside this season. But the first couple of matches, and especially this game, um, I thought they were magnificent even before the Perez uh, red card, Dave. Because tactically, Moyes got it spot on. He had um, Antonio on four nails. Um, absolutely doing a great job without the ball defensively on Tillemans and Ndidi. And he'd let the two centre-halves have the ball, um, Amati and Sionchu. And what he did, he just stopped. He nullified everything in that middle of the park. And when West Ham won the ball, the counter-attack play was absolutely brilliant. Bowen, Ben Rama yet again getting a goal. And I just thought they looked absolutely brilliant. And when, when Leicester went to 10 men, it was it was absolutely game over. I know Tillyman's got a goal back, but West Ham dominated superbly. And the, the goals from Antonio, what a player, like you say, to go and break De Canio's record. Sensational. However, the celebration is absolutely tragic. He ran over, picked up a cardboard cutout of himself, gave it a kiss, showed it to the fans, and then threw it on the floor in disgust. So I don't know what all that was about. He was he was excited. The emotions took over, but it, it just a great moment for a great goal scorer. And he's looking the real deal this season, if he can stay fit. He kissed himself, didn't he? He kissed himself. He did. It's almost like he was looking in the mirror and kissed himself. It was, it, it was actually awkward to watch, but funny in the same sense. Have you guys ever seen a celebration like that? Or did anyone, were you, what was the, when you were involved in a celebration where your teammates gone and done something, have you been stuck in like, particularly you two keepers, where you would have maybe tried to join in and been halfway be like, oh my God, I'm stranded here. I don't want to join in on this. What the hell's going on? I've only actually joined in once, I think. And that was when we played uh, Australia. We were playing uh, Uzbekistan in the semifinals of the Asian Cup 2011. I think it was probably like a sixth or seventh goal we scored. And I think, uh, I'm trying to think who was the goal scorer. He scored his first goal for Australia. And I ran down to celebrate with him. Um, So, yeah, that was it. I was knackered after that. Was it Matt Mackay? I think it was Matt Mackay. I think you're right. I think it was Matt Mackay's first ever goal for the Socceroos. Tommy? Yeah, not individually, but, you know, just sometimes the, the ideas the striker have, you know, the the the, the things they go up to. I, I think of uh, uh, Balotelli when he got the mobile phone out and, and started taking pictures. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what happened this morning with uh, Antonio, but, uh, yeah, there's something behind it. I'm sure the story will come out. So it definitely looked a bit weird. There's another really good one. Massimo Macaroni played for Brisbane Raw, played with the Middlesbrough when he was back in Italy, scored a goal. And I think it was either in Serie B, I'm not really sure. It might have been even in Serie A. He scored a goal, ran behind the goal and took a beer off someone and took a sip. No, that's a, that, that's a man that knows what he's doing. Yeah, if he, if the the only other one... The celebration, do something like that. Dave, the only other one that I remember <laughs> that was crazy was, I think it was um, a guy called Cat Spy of Newcastle United when he took his boot off and started smashing the Hordens. You remember that one when Newcastle United started kicking the yeah, ball, just took his boot well. off, threw it in the crowd, and then I realised he had to play for the rest of the twenty minutes <laughs> without his boot and had to get it back off the fans. Very good, very good. Back to the actual football though, Tom. And um, the thing about West Ham as well is once they went one nil up, and I know you've spoken a bit about David Moyes on this show, and 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 you know that he 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 has his plan, he has his way, and when they went to one nil up, 
you could see a switch go and you just knew they're going to be hard to beat from that point. Notwithstanding the fact that they'd been playing well up until that moment, they went, uh, they took the lead. Yeah. You know, again, I think uh, hats off to, to David Moyes because I, again, going back to last year, I wasn't too convinced. Um, and, and they seem to have a, a bit of a thing with Leicester. They, you know, they've, they did them last season a couple of times and, um, you know, I, I must say, with with that midfield, with uh, you know Sushek, um, Declan Rice, uh, it, it's just an anchor that gives those those forward players, uh, Antonio Fornells, uh, even the wing the 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 wing backs or the full backs uh, to go forward, uh, supply the the you know the, the the service for the people in the box, and and they don't you know necessarily. I think in the first half they. They were well down in possession. Uh, Leicester had control of the game, but but they're happy to do that and and, and know that they can in transition uh, with the physicality as well. They can create chances and and you know eight goals in two games now. You know you got to take the hats off. But Tommy, that's what I was saying about that possession. He, Moyes allowed them to have the possession. It was just Sionchu playing it back to Amarty, and they were dropping in and just stopping the midfielder. So it was it was possession without a purpose. Where they had the stats on. West Ham were controlling them and sending them into areas that they didn't want to go and forcing the passes centrally so they could win the ball. And it worked superbly. And I look, I look at West Ham next two fixtures. I've got Crystal Palace. Can they win that? Yes, they can because I haven't been impressed. And then they've got Southampton before they play Manchester United. That will be the tester for them, obviously. And I can see them having maximum points after four games. Which was it? They picked up where they left off from last year. I mean, it was people wondering whether they could back it up. The test will come when the Europa League uh, fixture backlog starts, but who was to who was to say that they couldn't pick up where they were last year? I, I think so. Yeah. Uh, listen, I think um, there's always going to be a question mark when you when you've had such a great season that West Ham have had. It, it, you know, what's the second season going to be like? And obviously, they've they've answered some of the questions so far. I mean, listen, we're only two games in, but it's been impressive. Um, and and I think what West Ham did really well today was they kind of did what Leicester used to do with things. Happy enough to sit down, sit back, give them possession, then you know, well organized. The moment they won the ball, that transition was incredibly quick. I still find Leicester struggle a little bit when they do have a lot of possession. Um, they're not as productive as as, as as they probably should be with the quality of players they have on their side. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a, a Leicester side that's in that in that transitional period in terms of the way they're, the style of football they're playing, and they're a little bit hit and miss at times. The red card, Bridgie. Um, Casper Schmeichel was leading a protest. They're all pretty incensed, but it looked pretty cut and dry to me. Yeah. I mean, Oliver let the um, actual play go on. He didn't even give a free kick for that decision. The player was allowed to go on. And it wasn't until the players kicked the ball out of play that the VR went and had a look at it. And he got called over to the VR. And you can blatantly see that, you know, Perez's has been done from a little push from behind. He's stumbled and he's completely missed the ball. And when you see it from a certain angle, it's a leg breaking challenge. And there was there was a couple of moments to give you one from the referee's angle. You can see that there has been a bit of a bit of contact, but he's allowed it to go on, which I th- you know we've seen a lot of good decisions, I think, at the start of this Premier League where referees have allowed challenges to go on. We saw Manchester United and Solskjaer was complaining about one when Southampton got a goal. Um, I've enjoyed the referees, but this was a fantastic moment where they've gone, used the VR, and yes, it was a leg-breaking challenge because Fornells was very, very lucky. Uh, and I thought the right call was made when you have a look at the footage. 
And as you say, West Ham were on top before that. There was a goal that brought life back into the game, but West Ham went on, kicked on through Antonio to go get the 4-1 win. Go top of the table on goal difference. Good start to the season for them. But as you said, towards the early days, of course. Looking at the weekend that was, early days indeed, but that hasn't stopped the hysteria over Arsenal, who went down 2-0 to Chelsea in the marquee fixture of the weekend. I think the difference is we've spoken, and I think I've started every discussion with Arsenal on this show recently. Being, I feel like we've been saying this for months and months and months. But I sense, Schwartzy, that it escalated a little bit over the weekend just in the manner of the defeat, the lack of uh, seeing the progress that Mikel Arteta has made. And whilst he does have the caveats of uh, recruits arriving late, COVID-19 impacts very much, I sense that there's a lot of dissenting voices from Arsenal legends now, which is adding to the mix that's putting him under big pressure with a tough fixture list to come. Yeah, uh, it is. And you're right. There is a, there is a sense of, of quite a few ex-players now coming out and being very vocal the way that uh, Arsenal have been playing. Um, but you know what? I don't think it's any new. I think it's been something that's been happening for, for a number of seasons now. Arsenal haven't changed whatsoever. Personnel have changed a bit, but in terms of the way they've played, the lack of uh, the lack of leadership, um, the lack of, of, of identity, that's a, a bit of an issue. I think with Mikel Anteta now, they've, they've actually gone away from um, when he first took over that, that ball-playing sort of, uh, sort of team, taking a Pep Guardiola kind of style. And they seem to be in a, in a position now where they're, they're really struggling for any, any sort of identity. Um, I also question recruitment 100% in terms of defensively being one of their biggest issues and they still haven't recruited well in that department. Um, I, I also question the amount of money they've spent on a goalkeeper that, mm-hmm. you know, Ramsdale's gone down twice. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe that's the going rate. I don't know what you think, Thomas. I think Leno has been up and down. Um, you know, we, we saw, the, you know, a, a fantastic save at the weekend, but we always also seen him struggle at times. And uh, yeah, Ramsdale. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's the big issue. I, I think you touched on a lot of things. You know, it starts from the top with the, with the ownership and, and obviously all the, uh, you know, the questions and, and talk about sale and, and then all the way down you know, through uh, management to the players. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of issues to, um, to, to, to start on because they've, they've, got, uh, they've got a long way ahead. Um, I think the game showed that uh, tactically. I think they were, they were you know, definitely um, outdone by, by a million miles by, by Chelsea, um, who, who are the total opposite. They've got a, a strategy. They've, they've got a way of playing. And... Um, you know, Arsenal haven't, and I, you know, I, I, you know, I understand why people, uh, you know, Keo and Ian Wright and, and and people like that come out and and criticise because they see their big team um, that had the glory days uh, now looking so far from it. By the way, and you mentioned the goalkeeper, and that's an individual issue spending too much on the goalkeeper, but it's also I probably think Bridgie they've spent more money than anyone in the summer, and of course he's going to need time to bed that in. But they've spent more money than anyone. Do you feel like they've actually solved any issues? <laughs> Looking at them in the first few matches, no, not at all. And it, it's disappointing because um, I was a big fan of Arteta when he first came in because he had a lot of things to deal with. And I do think he changed that culture to a degree. But the, the, the performances and the way the players have been playing on the field have been so lacklustre. 
And they've run out of ideas. Now, against Chelsea, away from, they're at home. They're playing Chelsea. Chelsea, 22 attempts. And they bullied them all over the park. And you know, I'm watching the game and I'm seeing Chelsea dominate. The back four of, of Arsenal was getting torn apart. Tierney was having to come right inside, very narrow, um, because the two centre-halves had got sucked into Mark and Lukaku. And then when you see somebody else drift, I think it was Havertz drifting into that area, Tierney's had to follow him. So Rhys James was all alone on the right-hand side, and it was happening time and mm. time again. On the opposite side, Alonso was doing it. And I'm thinking, right, I'm, I'm no manager in the Premier League and I'm no coach up there. But I could see there was a massive fundamental flaw in the way Arsenal's tactics were set up. I couldn't believe that he didn't... He tried to change a personnel, but it was the actual tactics in this game that had let him down. And that is him as Arteta and his coaching staff to recognise that and do something about it and change it. And they, they didn't have the... I don't think they had the courage to do it and or they didn't have the nous to see it. Now, I, you've got to go with the courage one because these are professional coaches at the top of their game. Uh, and I just thought Chelsea dominated and Tuchel must have been laughing, thinking, how have they not changed anything here? Well, on that then, uh, what you said, Bridget Schwartz, Arteta after the game is still calling for patience. Um, you know, there might be the, the caveat again that he didn't have his best players there, so we can't judge them on that. That That's sort of their, their spin on it. But ultimately, the question is, They've been picked. They've picked him on that long-term plan. Can you see? And, and it's only two games in, but this is the same evidence of what we've seen after after an off-season of last season. The crowd's already booing. Worst start in 118 years. Do you actually see this thing that we're holding on for? That the, the the promise, the, the the blue sky and the horizon that's going to come if we're all patient. I can't see it at the moment. I haven't seen it for a while. To be perfectly honest with you, I think there's been a, probably the last six months where where uh, Mikel Arteta has really struggled, I think. I think he's, he struggled with the pressure. I think he struggled with trying to give his team identity. Um, it's a massive job, let's be honest. It's a huge job. Um, Arsenal have been this side that for, for a number of years now, I mean, let's be honest, under, under Arsene Wenger, fans were, were not happy finishing in the top four for 20-odd years in a row let alone now, they're nowhere near that and they're unhappy. So Arsenal fans have been unhappy for a long, long time. So you'll be very careful what they wish for. And, and there's a prime example of, of, of what's happened to Arsenal. The other issue is obviously, you know, when, when they made a change, whoever's going to follow Arsene Wenger is going to be up against it. it it's a, it's a, Unai Emery, I don't think was given enough time. Um, you see what he's done since he's left. Uh, with, you know, with Villarreal, how, how well he's done. Then you look at uh, Mikel Arteta and now they've backed him. They've gone out of the transfer market and they've actually backed him. So to actually then get rid of him now, what sort of message is that sending? What, what, what is it saying to people? Right, we're going to back him, but then two games in, they're going to panic and, and, and sack him. I don't think they'll sack him. I, I think he's still got probably another four or five months at least to get things right. And if it doesn't start to turn around, obviously barring a disaster, barring they go on a run of losing whatever, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 games in a row. I, I still think he'll, he's got good enough players to do it, but he definitely needs those key players back. He needs a Bumiang firing, he needs a Lacazette firing, but don't think all is right there either. I think all you've got to do is look at the squads at the weekend, Arsenal against Chelsea. The starting 11 of Chelsea far outdid, obviously, Arsenal's starting 11. But I look, I look at the bench and I, I look at the Chelsea, Kepa, Thiago Silva, Kante, Werner, 
Zuma, Hutchner, Doy, Chilwell, and Ziyech. Yeah. The, the bench but would all think, the bench would get in Arsenal start. They would get an Arsenal starting team. So Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea should have won that game, no doubt about it. I look at them. So I don't know where the fans think they're at this moment in time. Yeah. Because they cannot compete with that squad depth of Chelsea. They can't compete with your Manchester City. And they're certainly nowhere near the quality of Liverpool when they've got their 15 players fit. So the yeah, reality yeah. is they're not good enough. Yeah, but Bridget, yeah, I, I think you need away. to cut I need to cut him. Yeah, I, I agree they're a million miles away, but you need to cut them a little bit of slack that they've have. Uh, a fair few injuries, some illness. Uh, Odegaard has come in with, he wasn't there because of Visa. Uh, you know, Gabriel, uh, Ben White at the back w- weren't playing. So, you know, they, like I think Atessa came out and said, I need some time. I need my players back. So we need to give him a little bit of time and, and slack with that. But I think tactically, I think what's what Swartz said and, and what you said as well, Bridget, I think they... There, there's some worrying signs there that even with the team he had out, he should do better. Yeah. It, they should be better prepared to play Chelsea and know what Chelsea's strengths are, and they got exploited. Well, the only good news for them really is they've got Manchester City next week, so um, it's you know it's a it's a good good <laughs> sign ahead. Ajwati, did you expect uh, Romelu Lukaku to hit the ground running the way he did? Looked very impressive, and uh, hearing a lot of talk of final piece of the puzzle, add something we don't have. It certainly looked like that straight away. Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, I mean, he, he, you see his interview after the game, one word to describe performance, dominant. I mean, mm-hmm. that's Romelu Lukaku. You know, he's, I mean, he's, it's a different guy from when I was there. So obviously he was very, he was a lot younger. He was, hadn't had the experience. He hasn't, obviously didn't have the success. Since then he's gone on and he's been phenomenal. Um, and, and I always found that I always when 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 a lot of discussion or a lot of, a lot of talk was about about Lukaku potentially going back to Chelsea, I, I thought it was a really interesting one. I just thought, is it a case of Lukaku going right, unfinished business? I want to go back to Chelsea and I want to show people what I can do, where I'm at, um, or or would he just write it off altogether and go, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go back to Chelsea. I'm going. I'm going to stay where I am in Milan, or I'm going to go elsewhere. And, and credit to him, he's gone back. And yes, it was a tap-in, but it's the movement. It's the, the work rate. It's the, the aggression, the physicality that he showed throughout the game. Um, 100%. He's, he, he is so vital to Chelsea's grand plans of going on to that next level. And, and what Bridget was saying, you know, you look at the squad, it's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal what they've done, how they've been able to build a squad. Um, and, and this season is incredibly exciting because Man City obviously is, is a good squad, right? Top, top class squad. They just miss a number nine. And I think they'll get one before the end of the window. And the most likely one um, is uh, is obviously Bridges' man crush. And then when you look at, you know, Liverpool, Liverpool are hitting the ground running. Um, and, and you just think this is just a phenomenal season lining up. Manchester United, bit of a hiccup, but... They're going to be there or thereabouts. I just don't see them being as consistent enough. Um, but yeah, it's 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 phenomenal. Lukaku, I would be very, very surprised if he doesn't score 20, 25 plus goals. Well, Thomas, well, let's pick that let's pick that theme up. Liverpool versus Chelsea, Lukaku versus Van Dyke. And we're gonna get a nice little glimpse as soon as match week three, aren't we? Yeah, that's gonna be a, an absolute classic. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll see uh, Klopp, uh, you know, out like he was this weekend about uh, Lukaku not manhandling Van Dijk and and being too too harsh on on him. 
but yeah, uh, th- th- these are the duels we want to see. And, 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 and I think the difference between Arsenal and Liverpool is that Van Dijk is happy single-handedly to take on Lukaku, where you could see the whole Arsenal, every, you know, that first goal. There's, there's about four Arsenal players around him, and that leaves the space for Rhys James to, to get in behind. Uh, and I think Liverpool will, you know, handle it totally different. Um, so he'll find it he'll find it hard against Liverpool, um, I'm, I'm sure. And 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 again, uh, we'll have to do uh, you know a, a big defensive job as well. Yeah, I think think Tommy the defensive job for for Van Dijk coming back from injury, looking looking quality. But the guy alongside him, Matip, has been sensational. The duels that he has won, the anticipation where he can get in front of the the attackers and and nick the ball, um, and he's going to be having a screen and player, whether it's Henderson or Thiago in front of him as well. I think the Liverpool are a lot more organised, but it's going to be one hell of a battle. Is Lukaku going to play on Van Dijk and have the strength battle? Is he going to go and play on Matip? Um, it's just going to be sensational to watch. And, and like we said, the two different styles of play again, it's going to be uh, Tuchel's um, three, what is it, three four three or whatever he wants to play against the four three three. I'm looking forward to seeing it, but Klopp's got a lot more um, tactical now than Arteta, and I think that showed at the weekend where Arsenal got undone. And by the way, it's two keepers. Let's assume that they, you know, they're going to go win with the four, which they always do. And I've heard a lot about how what Mari did wrong against Lukaku on the weekend, allowed him to bully him, sort of needed it was too passive. What cues would you be looking for from your defence? And if you were seeing what Mari was doing, would, would you try almost change it with the instructions you were barking out? Or is that too much set up by the, the tactics uh, the manager does? Like, what, what cues are you looking for from your defence uh, when you've got a presence like Lukaku there? And perhaps maybe not as a not a defender who is as independent as Van Dijk that you know you might need a little bit more you know cues or coaching uh, from behind them. You know, I, I, from my perspective, I, I, again, you know, if you if you play with a back four, you know, you you, you got to know what Lukaku is trying to do. You know, he, he's he's not you know if he's got his back towards goal, that that that's really where you, you want him. Like, let him pass it back. Uh, you don't need necessarily to win the ball. Uh, you just need to be organized. So if, if somebody pushes in on him, um, you, you want the rest of the players to, to, to cover. Uh, uh, and especially when, when Chelsea tried to outnumber you, I think that that was the reason, you know, if, you know, a couple of their holding midfielders as well, you know, you, you gotta, you, you gotta get them working with, with the center halves to, to, to cover. You can't get the, the holding midfielders uh, dragged out of position. I think that happened way too much with, with uh, Arsenal, Saka and uh, uh, Lukonga, I think uh, mm-hmm. you know they, they got socked out, and and then suddenly Havertz, and and that's where they 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 suddenly create a, a numbers game, uh, and and I think as a goalkeeper, that's what you'll be looking for. You you, you got to be looking at numbers that you always got that uh, man advantage because otherwise uh, a team like Chelsea will will just destroy you. And that's what you'd be doing, working on training. So in training, that's all going through. If he drops in that into that pocket, it's either Matip or, or Van Dijk will go with him, or they both might drop off and allow one of the, the defensive midfielders to, to pop on him, like Thomas was saying. So th- that that's all worked on. And, and then on a match day, as, as, as a goalkeeper, it's more about, I suppose, the movement and, and Lukaku looking to get off people's shoulders. So there'll be times where he drops in. Other times, he's just trying to find a find the gap, isn't he? He's trying to look off someone's shoulders. He's trying to get in behind. And it's constantly just making your centre defenders aware of where he is, what he's up to. And if he if he just gets out of the line of sight of the defender, you know, you just give him that little bit of instruction. 
Um, but they're going to have to work. It's like every week, really, but it, and more so important when you're playing against the likes of when Liverpool playing against the likes of a Chelsea or whatever with a threat of a Lukaku. You know, you've got to be spot on with your communication, not only as a goalkeeper, but also defenders. Liverpool were impressive against Burnley, Bridgie. Um, bigger tests await this weekend, but again, they're back at Anfield. That makes a difference. It made a difference. What have you made of their start to the season as they come into this big game? And how do you see these two lining up? You know, it was amazing. I was watching that game and just before kickoff when they're coming out, Anfield was full once again. This, this scene was set and I actually got a little bit homesick. I was thinking, God, I want to get back to England because seeing the stadiums full, the atmosphere, and it was... You know, I think Burnley... What do you mean defeat... homesick? I thought you were Aussie and you live in Australia. What do you mean homesick? You're Aussie. Yeah. What are you I about? know that's what but I wanted to return home after seeing all this. It was looked unbelievable, probably because lockdown is affecting us here mentally. Um, but just seeing all the fans out and, and enjoying themselves and in the atmosphere at Anfield, it's a, it's a haunting place. It, it plays on you. It's got this awe about it. And I think Burnley were defeated from the moment that they stepped out and saw that because Liverpool, the players turned up on the day the fans turned up on the day and they didn't let each other down. The players performed, the fans performed. And I just thought all around Liverpool's performance, um, especially the fullbacks, we always talk about Trent Alexander-Arnold. Robertson hasn't been in, but Simicast has come in and he got an assist from the left-back position. And Robertson was sitting on the bench, you know, waiting for his, his opportunity to get back out there. Jota led the line, I thought, superbly. And, you know, Marnie and Salah yet again, tremendous. But there was a young kid came in. Mm -hmm. There was a boy, Elliot, got his, his um, senior debut in the Premier League. And I thought the balance that he gave them, Henderson did the little defensive job. He had Elliot and Keita getting the ball. And I thought the link of play from Elliot, he wanted the ball all the time. And for a young lad to step out at Anfield in front of all them fans and want the ball as much as he did, because every everything didn't go his way. He gave a lot of passes away. In the, in the game, but he didn't go and hide. He wanted the ball again. Now, that shows true character for me. If you make a few mistakes and a few dodgy passes, you still want to get on the ball. And I just thought all around Liverpool, the fans and the players would be absolutely buzzing. Yeah, it looks good. And so just a, he, he's the, actually the youngest player in the Premier League history. That was his senior starting debut on the weekend. And he, and he looks, he's been thrown in the deep end. We spoke about replacing Vinaldon last week. And you can tell that Klopp is working on those solutions right now. So you mentioned that four, uh, Schwartz, that's, that's really making this really exciting. And I guess the sense that there is this four that's hard to split is we're seeing a few signs that Liverpool, that it's not last year's Liverpool. It's going to be closer to the one before, uh, and we're seeing a few signs already this season. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Liverpool need to be the one of two seasons ago because if not, they'll be left behind again. Um, but there's no doubt they will be there, there or thereabouts. They'll be in that front, that front pack of four. Um, I've got no doubt. I mean, they're a top, top quality side if they're all fit, they're all available. Um, and they're going to have to have a bit more luck, obviously a lot more luck this season in terms of injuries. If they do pick up another couple of main, you know, big injuries, that's where they're obviously their, their, their squad depth is going to be challenged. And uh, I just don't see them having the same depth as the likes of a Chelsea or a Man City, of course, um, and even a Manchester United to a degree. So that's the, that's the only concern with them. But, uh, you know, the way they've started has been, been brilliant. And like Bridget mentioned there, Anfield being packed, makes all the difference for, for everyone, for all the teams, home advantage, having their fans back again, nowhere to hide. It's automatically a lift for everyone. There's accountability on that football pitch again. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Tell you what, did uh, Manchester United one, Southampton one, they're in that four that we're talking about, but uh, was there shades of our, of our season preview in, in, in that, in that one all draw? Um, in terms of Manchester United, some of the weaknesses there, the midfield and perhaps up front again, Thomas, the moment you sort of take Mason Greenwood and play him out wide again, I know they've got Marcus Rashford and Cavani to come back in, but you could you just get the sense that they're the type of results that maybe mean that you know everyone's going to have ups and downs, but that's where we've had that doubt against Manchester United before the season. I think so. I think we've seen the the, the fantastic of, of Man United uh, and and the sort of average of Man United for for the first two weeks. I think uh, you know I think you hit a spot on. I think Martial. I don't. I don't think he's he's a man for for Man United. I don't think he's going to take them to to a title. So so they they need Cavani uh, or Rashford to to do a much better job. I, I think we saw defensively that a little bit of complacency. I know. Uh, Solskjaer was out and, and talked about, uh, you know, Fernandes being robbed of the ball. But but to me, it's a perfectly, he dwells on it. You know, he gets pushed off it and uh, they get punished. Uh, nearly got done in the second half. Maguire needs to uh, send a few birthday cards uh, and Christmas cards to, to De Gea and Gold because he, he absolutely saved them uh, late in the game where they could have lost it as well. So, you know, I, I think... Uh, they've got some issues still. Um, uh, and, and these are the sort of games that you see Chelsea, you see Manchester City winning. Um, so for, for, for United to be a, a challenge contender, they, they need to or should have won this game. Gary Neville was very cheeky overnight, Bridgie, calling us, uh, said, what, well, Manchester City and Spurs are working things out. Let's go get Harry Kane. Why aren't we signing Harry Kane right now? Um, ultimately, do you think Solskjaer will make any changes before the window or is he playing with what he's got? For the window, I don't think they've got the, the budget, have they, Dave, after getting Sancho in? Um, can, can they go and get another 100 million pound player? I don't think I don't, so. I don't think that. I think they can probably look at different arrangements. I don't know if it's yeah. Kane, but... No, but there's, there is other things. But what I saw from the, the you know the previous week when Greenwood played as the, the number nine down the middle, he was a lot more threatening. And then obviously Martial came in, Greenwood went back out wide, like you, like you said. They, I don't think they had the dynamics like they did against, um, oh God, who was it? Leeds United in the first the first match when they looked so dominant. Did you forget that one? Going forward, I, I tried to forget it, didn't it's I? Not, it's not his team. It's not his <laughs> team. Oh, yeah, sorry, you're right. Yeah. It's not yeah. the watch, remember that, Swartzy. <laughs> but I just felt like Martial, they took the, he had limited touch. I think it was only four... Four touches in the first 20 minutes, 12 in the after 54. That's not good enough as a number nine. They, they didn't get the supply to him or he was just hiding. Um, and as soon as they had a little bit of a change around, they looked a little bit more threatening once again. But just, that, yeah, you, I don't know how you can turn it on one week and look as dominant as they do and then look so lacklustre the week after. He's got big, big, big problems to sort out there, I still think. Well, it's the same ones, isn't it? It's it's you just want to you want them to step up and be the the real deal consistently each week. Um, speaking of which, well, though, we we said that didn't we? Me and Swartzy yeah. last week about Pogba. We'll judge him after ten games. 
He, everybody's raving. He's had four assists in one game. Yeah, what would he do? He's, he's had one game. That's the first time I've seen him perform like that since he's been at Man United in one game. So give him 10 more matches, see how see how they go. Yeah, and when it's not as open... He was instrumental, though. He was instrumental yeah. in the, in, in the equaliser, wasn't he? I mean, it was brilliant play from him and yeah. then a great touch on the, on the Greenwood and it was a you know, decent finish. Um, I thought McCarthy probably should have done better, but um, he was still instrumental in that moment. But that's the thing about Paul Pogba, Bridges, right? You know, we, we talked about before. Do they get enough out of him? Um, then they've got another player like Martial, who, if anything, they even get less out of. Hmm. And he's just, uh, he's a big unknown quantity. I, I don't know, and I don't think many people know how to deal with him, how you get the best out of him. Um, I think, and I, I know, I know, I, I definitely know that Jose, Jose Mourinho found him really difficult, found him really difficult to work out how to get the best out of him. Um, he just seems so often like he's either not interested, doesn't care, or yeah, I don't know. But he's 25 now. And I think so many people pull that. What's that? He's 25 now. He's, he's, he's not the kid that just broke through. Uh, absolutely. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's what he's been given leeway for in the past, I think, uh, being young, trying to find his way into the side, trying to find his way into being in England. And that's over with now. And, and for me, and I, I know there were a lot, a lot of pundits over here in, in, in the UK that were very, very outspoken about Martial and about if Manchester United want to win the league, they need a better player than a Martial. Martial's not going to win the league for them or... or He's, going to, he's not going to be a big player for them in their squad to win the league. I'll tell you what, speaking of squads, though, uh, Manchester City going to put five Thomas past poor old Norwich, who, you know, hapless on this occasion. No Foden, no De Bruyne, no, I say in inverted commas, no Kane. Um, but Gabriel Jesus out wide. So what's that saying? Is, is Pep preparing for life uh, with Kane or is he trying to find a way to get Jesus in the squad? Does he not have enough wingers already? You know, what, what, what's, what's he working towards? Yeah, no, I think you can read uh, several things into it. Um, you know, I think it, it's been a, a thing for a while now. I think he's just, you, you know, a little bit about Martial, you know, how do you get the best out of him? Um, and, and I think, you know, you know, by, by putting him wide, you know, he can make runs inside. Um, and I think it worked pretty well against Norwich. Uh, not that it, it's, a, it's a big uh, sort of... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think I think their back line got absolutely destroyed. Uh, they got moved a little bit like Arsenal all over the place and runs in behind. Uh, so it's it's not really the game where you could see if it worked. Um, uh, but it's exciting. Uh, you know they've got plenty of options when you can destroy a team without those players that you said. And and uh, you know I'm still hoping that they get Kane, even though Bridgie is probably uh, rooting against it uh, because I think it would just make it uh, so spicy between. Uh, uh, because then, then you would say they're evenly matched. Uh, they got, you know, again the two number nines with Chelsea, and uh, you know, I think that will set the, the league up. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, definitely, Guardiola um, works his magic with whatever players he has. Yeah, I, I, I hope you're completely wrong, and I hope they don't get Kane. But if they do, <laughs> it's game on. But what I, what I thought was magnificent, I loved the way that Jesus played out wide, and he he played high and wide, and Grealish played high and wide on the left hand side, Torres down the middle, and that allowed Bernardo Silva and Gundogan just to go and join in them little pockets. And uh, you, you credit the you know a, a credit to the degree. Um, Farker, who wanted to play the 4-3-3 and try and go toe-to-toe with them and not play counter-attack. It didn't work. 
And I f- the boy Gibson, the centre-half on the left-hand side alongside Hanley, there was three moments in the game where he's got Torres up against him and he's got Silva coming inside. And what they did, they both dropped in and he followed them in. And the little slip pass from Walker, there was two, two passes in behind for Jesus because there was a massive pocket of space left by Gibson. He didn't know whether to have, I hate saying this, a shit, a shower or a shave. He didn't know what day of the week it was because he, he was just lost. There was none of that. Tommy just talked about it before with Arsenal um, and Liverpool. Who's going to be that defensive midfielder that screens? Well, Gilmore was there, but he was just left all alone. There was nobody else helping the two centre-halves out to pick up Silva and Gundogan when they came forward. And I really I really felt for the back line of Norwich because they were just left. It was lambs to the slaughter. And I thought um, Man City looked dynamic yet again, but Norwich played into their hands. Yeah, there's one team you don't want to be uh, left exposed to, and that's Manchester City. Yeah. Uh, and, and to be fair, Norwich will have a few of those this season. Obviously, Liverpool, um, Chelsea. It'll be more, you know, more of the same. Manchester United, and and that, that's the kind of big thing. And it's a bit Leeds United are on a different level to Norwich by by a million miles, of course. But it's the same kind of idea of we're going to play our game every week. Doesn't matter who we're playing against. Sometimes you just got to go. You know what? Got to change it a little bit. Got to be a little bit more secure. Give our backline a bit more cover to give ourselves any chance at all. But the way Norwich are playing and the way they do play, that's not going to change. And against the big boys, what is it going to take? One in 20, they may get a result. The rest of the time, they're going to lose. Yeah, and you sense that ability to sort of adapt and compete, maybe not against the big boys, but those tier below will be the key to survival, learning the lessons from last time this year. Well, that's the issue about, for a lot of Norwich fans, I, I think there's this, you know, there's, 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 it's obviously a, a like a roller coaster ride. So it's the the joy and the excitement of championship and doing so well and getting promoted again, and obviously coming to the Premier League, going right, okay, we're going to have another season where okay, we're going to have some decent results, we're going to play some decent amount of football, but we're going to go straight back down again. And I think it's almost a given and and almost an acceptance from Norwich fans that that's how they're going to be, and it's a model, I suppose. It's a model that has worked for them. You know, they've been able to produce players, sell players, invest in the academy, continue to invest players. The question is, how long can you keep doing it? How long can you keep reproducing those players? How often can you keep finding those gems to end up doing exactly what they're doing? You know, one year down, one year up. One year. Well, I mean, financial works. That's what happened with Sunderland. Sunderland were known as that club. Partly when I was there as well, I, I ended up getting sold from there. Henderson got sold from there. Pickford got sold from there. It was, you know, up and down, up and down. They, they, they didn't see that long-term stability like Leicester have gone and done. And look what happened to Sunderland. It just went and totally capitulated for them. Yeah, interesting shout. Interesting. Hey, just going back to uh, Kane, who you mentioned, what did you make of him coming off the bench, Bridgie? Um, he, he, the whole story. Was, was Harry Kane. Um, yeah. But beneath that, there was also a decent little story about Deli Alley as well, who, who was coming into his own a little bit under Nuno. Wolves, I thought, dominated the game. They, they had, they had um, the possession there. They had the more, the, the more shots or attempts on, on goal. But Spurs sat in. They played that, that kind of counter-attack that Nuno is renowned for. Um, and when you've got Bergrand and Son and Lucas Moura up top, doing them running and the counter-attack, it was absolutely superb. And there's no doubt about it that they want Adama Traore because it would fit the way wow. Nuno wants to play. That is no doubt they're going to go all out attack in the next eight days to try and get him through. However, we're talking about Harry Kane. It was good <laughs> to see him come on. I was delighted the fans give him a, give him a nice little ovation saying he's one of our own. 
how long that is for remains to be seen. Uh, and he had an opportunity to get a goal, but he 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 didn't look as lively or as fit as we've seen him, and he didn't look mentally. He, I, I just don't know. He didn't give the fans the the recognition or the evasion that he he needed. There's definitely something going on where he just doesn't look quite right to me. And I observe him a lot because what he's told you, I love him. I, lo- I watch his body language. I, observe I watch his lot. interviews. I listen to all his comments and he's gone very quiet in social media as well. So there's def- it's definitely affected him in a, in a big way, this. Yeah, he, he wants out. There's 100%. We all know that. He wants out. He's desperate trying to get Man City. And why wouldn't he? You know, um, and, and, and Spurs have shown, Nuno's shown, there is a Spurs without Hurricane. Of course there is. Yes, that's, that, um, that's the worrying thing, though, Sporty, or a good thing, whichever way you want to look at it as a fan. He's shown that yeah. you can do it with Son up top. Well, I, I think as a fan of Spurs, of course, you be some will be devastated, some will be disappointed, some will go, who cares, just get the money in and let's off, yeah. off we go again. He's done He's done his bit. He's been loyal and he's been brilliant for Spurs. So, you know, there's a, there's a mix. Um but for me, he has to go. He has to try and make that move. He's 28 years old. If they don't sell him now, he, they're never going to get the money ever again that, that's on offer for him. And I think to bring someone in like Adama Traore, is he not, for me, he is probably, the, he, he's probably, for me, the most exciting player to watch right now every time he gets the ball. He reminds me a little bit of Alfonso Davies when he gets the ball, when he gets, he opens up his legs. The only thing, obviously, Adama Troy is, is struggling with is that end product. But wow, I mean, energy pace is insane. It doesn't look like a footballer. <laughs> no. That's he, exactly what my wife said he, when she was yeah. watching the game. She went, he does not look like a footballer. Has he been the, drug tested? <laughs> yeah, the, the arms are up, the, the shirt is up, the, the shorts are up. Like he, bloody hell, he looks like a... a you know, an absolute superhuman out there. But I, I agree with you there, Sports. I think it, it's just that final product. Again, he, he, he should have equalized. He had that, you know, one-on-one. And, and a good striker, I'm sure you'll say, Bridget, if, if he's got the keeper where he wants him, he just needs to go around him instead of he sort of panics a little bit and then he sort of lashes at it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's where he just needs to, to, to take another step to get into that top bracket because he's got everything else. Well, well, here's one for you. Wolves obviously getting beat two losses. If, if Dormitory goes and there's talk never, um, Navas um, is on his way. I'm not sure whether Man United are still sneaking around him. They could be in a world of hurt this season, Wolves. By the way, you know they've had uh, they've had more ch- second most chances or second most shots, I think, in 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 the league so far. So the intent there, whether the quality is, that's got to be the concern. And and they're adapting to a new manager too. So yeah. I think we might be talking about them a little bit more in another conversation as the weeks go on that we haven't over the last three years, two, three years. I also like um, uh, Sace, right? The goalkeeper Sace. Is that correct? Yeah, he's, um, I thought he was brilliant against Spurs. I mean, I know he had the penalty away. Yeah. I know he was a bit late. It was definitely a penalty. Um, well, I, th- I thought Deli Ali did brilliantly well to, to win the penalty, but the goalkeeper got himself in a bad position. But I thought he made some really good saves, and I think he's an upgrade on Rui Patricio, I have to say. Yeah, right. No, I, I agree. I, I was about to say it before as well, uh, you know, and also to recover, you know, that was more or less his first, one of his first actions. You know, you, you're playing your first game at, at home in front of your new, new crowd and you, you make a, you know, a, a mistake uh, and, and then to recover the way he did. Like he kept them in a the game. He had six, seven outstanding saves. Um, so, yeah, I, I, he looks, he looks, uh, he looks very good. 
Gents, anything else that took your eye over the weekend? It's uh, We're getting used to goal rush again where you get four or five games simultaneous on a Saturday night. It's all happening at the same time. Um, but there's a lot going on in the Premier League right now. Brighton up, up, up in third, all sorts of things going on. What, what's, what's taking your fancy otherwise, good, bad or ugly? I've got to say the ugly that I saw had to be in the Leeds game. It was the penalty um, of Everton. And if you manage to just see the penalty... Before the ball is struck, you'll just see it's absolutely horrible. Calvin Lewin steps up to take the penalty and there's a Leeds fan trying to put him off behind the goal with his big fat belly hanging out and he's rubbing see, his I belly. Thought it was the... you. Well, I, thought you'd made your way back I, I thought was waiting. I was waiting for that. <laughs> I just haven't thought... seen it. Oh, well, I've, I've seen a lot of things where people there. are trying to wave and put people off behind the goal, but to get your belly out and just give it a good rub. It's, um, I thought that was hilarious. That's good, wasn't it? Also, and on a serious note, how good for the Leeds fans to see Rafinha score in front of them. Um, brilliant, brilliant. That's the good, bad and ugly of having the fans back, was, that is for sure. I was sure. going to say, that there was a moment, that was the other good thing I was going to say about that game. I was delighted that, that he got that because he hadn't see, the fans hadn't seen him. He hadn't played in front of a full house at Elland Road. And, you know, I thought that was just a marvellous moment. And a top-class finish, finish from a top-class player who, um, I know there was a lot of clubs chasing him. There's still eight days to go. Hurry up and shut the window so Leeds can keep a hold of him. All right, you other gents. Schwartzy? Um, I mean, back to the fact that we talked about him briefly before, obviously before, and uh, Harry Kane, uh, the Spurs fans, the reception they gave him, you know, he's one of our own... Um, considering everything that's gone on, that he didn't turn up for training and so forth, that they're still behind him. I thought that was that was pretty impressive. Tommy? Yeah, and no, I, I got to look at my old club. I'm excited about Danny Ings. What a goal he scored this weekend. Um, uh, and I, it could prove a, a fantastic signing. I, I, I'm hoping... Um, you know that him and, and Ollie Watkins can 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 link up because I think you know they they both you know got an individual strengths. Obviously, you know Ings is a, an absolute goal scorer, and uh, Watkins got the pace in behind. Um, and and we saw the qualities now he's he's produced in in both games. And uh, what a finish! What a finish! I cannot believe we are sat here, Dave Weiner, with two goalkeeping legends and the goalkeepers' union, and not one of them said. And mentioned Leno's save from Lukaku's header. I mentioned it earlier, and we've just it talked, uh, you know, about size. You know, we, just we are talked talking about, about him. the good, the bad, and the ugly. This was your moment to we shine. Talked your about the, I, we talked about the gear actually, you know, saving Man United. Um, they gave a masterclass on marking Lukaku. See how easy it is to <laughs> yeah. ruffle the feathers of these two. It's so easy, Dave. Look at them. Rah, 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 rah. Oh, you know, I'm sitting here praising one of your own. I know. And, and then you, you, you're coming back at me. Like, you, should cracks me you should be applauding. You should be standing ovation for this. <laughs> well, Love your work, ru- Tommy. Talking about ruffled feathers. What about um, uh, Solskjaer and Klopp? Manchester United, Liverpool divide doesn't unite particularly often. But here they're both picked apart. The uh, interpretations of the rules this, this season that's changed slightly where the referees after the Euros, which was a free-flowing tournament, minimal intervention by referees. They were encouraged to let things go a little bit more in the Premier League this year. But what Klopp and Solskjaer are saying is that the game's become rugby or the game's become wrestling. There are things that need to be pulled back. Ironically, a rule that's probably been put in to add an attacking flow to the game, they are arguing has possibly let players get away with more so far. Because uh, you're nodding the most, Tom. We'll start with you. We'll start with you. What, do you, what are they up to here, these two managers? And do you agree with their interpretation? Obviously, with it, keeping in mind that they have... They have elite stars that they're trying to protect. 
Yeah, I think the politics are being played here. Um, they definitely got an agenda and you can understand it. Like you, we were talking about, uh, you know, Liverpool, you know, their squad. Um, and we saw what Van Dijk being out meant uh, and, uh, you know, the challenges to him and Matip got uh, from a, a physical Burnley side. That, that was obviously their plan, you know, and, and that's the way they play. Um, so, so, so you would want protection, but I, I still think it's a physical game. I, I love the, the changes. I, I love the Euros, how, how it's flowing. Uh, and I think it's been a fantastic start to, to, to the Premier League. So you, you, you get where they're coming from, but I, I don't think they've got nowhere to go. Uh, you know, they're just trying to influence the referees a, a little bit, playing some mind games. And uh, I hope the referees stick to it. And I think Dermot Gallagher was out. Uh, I saw some quotes from him that, uh, you know, that they, they should just get on with the job. Uh, uh, the referees are doing brilliantly and, and I agree with them. Yeah, I, I agree that it should allow the game to flow on, flow a bit uh, more, or like they did in the Euros. The, the only, I suppose, maybe from a from a Klopp and a Solskjaer perspective, if you let it flow, you don't stop it, you don't penalise someone, there becomes a bit more of a persistent fouling. So they've got to find that balance of not allowing things to flow too much and players to get away with continuously fouling people. Um Whereas if you stop it, give a warning, there's a chance that players will have to pull in after running in because they get a yellow card and obviously they're on the last chance. So, so they're still finding that balance, uh, but letting the game flow more is certainly important. I think Solskjaer, to be fair, having that whinge, the tackle on Fernandez, that was looked at from VR. They allowed the play to go on, and obviously Adam's got the, the goal from mm. it. So I think that was a bit of a whinge up. But if there's anything to say that the laws are improving the the game we are seeing more opportunities we're seeing the game flow more you don't want to hear the referees whistle all the time and there's a lot of players do go to ground very very easily knowing if there's minimal contact they'll get a free kick that's been taken out the game which i'm delighted about and i think if anything can sum up um how they got it so right was that small the smallings match or um obviously in the uk the the, the evening was leicester's um sending off of perez when Oliver allowed the play to flow on and when the ball went out of play, they realised it was a dangerous leg-breaking tackle. The laws of the game have gone, they've had a look and they got it They got it right. So there is ways around it. However, like you say, there has been, what Swartzy says, the persistent fouling is one that you're going to have to be aware of because, you know, you'll always get one or two or three challenges in a game and if you keep doing it, the cards come out. So that, that's the one that we need to look at. I think the Perez one is possibly not a great example because when you see it, I mean, the only reason he, I, I think he's let it go is because he's not 100% sure. But he didn't, even give a free, he didn't even give a free kick, Swartz. Exactly. And he was five so yards away. So he's obviously not seen it. So if he sees it, like he's obviously seen it on the replay, for me, he stops the game straight away and gives a red card. Even though there's no intent, but it's a red card. There's a leg yeah. breaker, like you said earlier on in the show. So... In that instance, it's the other extreme. It's only because he doesn't see it. So that's actually a, the, the VAR is working in full flow there, Bridgie, as 100%. opposed to the you know he let it go because of this new interpretation, yeah. Yeah. and then VAR came in. Terrible, terrible, and terrible. Um, what was the thing used there, Swartzy? You said what? Not the right interpretation, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. In this instance, it was probably not the right example. Thank you. You're right. The only right? time I agree with you, but it was a good argument. I put yeah. up. It was a studs-up example. It was just a bit off the mark. but, but Never all... upset the goalkeeper's union, man. Look what happens. 
Too much praise for referees. Very exactly. good. Very good. Um, moving along to a couple of quirky things to end off with. Um, did you guys see what happened in uh, France during the week with uh, Nice and Marseille, where Dimitri Payet was hit by a bottle? The game was 1-0 to Nice at that point, um, and uh, he was hit by a bottle. He threw it back into the crowd before the fans stormed the pitch, causing the match to be abandoned. Some absolutely passionate fans involved there throwing it to you guys for look, what you made of those scenes because they were unruly but also a throwback to your day and things you might have experienced that that brought back some memories of um i'll start with you thomas and work 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 through and obviously these are the scenes you, you don't want to see in football um you know we, we we know as players but you know you can't react doesn't matter what comes from from the you know from the fans um and and it's something that's you know, it, it, it's something that happens down there. There was trouble with uh, Marseille against Strasbourg, uh, I think, uh, not long ago. And, and it's, it's local derbies, uh, a lot of passion. And, uh, and as players, we've we, we got to protect that. And you can't say anything or make gestures and definitely not throw bottles. Uh, <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't excuse uh, the fans jumping and, and trying to... Uh, you know, get to the players. Uh, but, but yeah, like from an own experience, we, we had a, a game against Sweden uh, a fair few years back, an important qualifier uh, that was right in the balance at the end. And, and uh, we had a red card. Uh, Christian Paulsen managed to, to hit a Swedish player last minute. The referee gave a penalty. And out of nowhere, a fan uh, ran onto the pitch and tried to hit the referee. Last second, I think Daniel Agger managed to sort of step in. So he only grazed him. Otherwise, he would have absolutely floored the referee. It was a huge scandal. We lost the game uh, 3-0. Uh, and there was chaos afterwards. And, 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 you know, whenever fans enter the pitch, it's never, it's never good. What do you reckon, Schwartzy? What do you got? Who would have known the Danes were that aggressive? Honestly, I never thought that. I think he had, he had a, a, one too many Carlsbergs, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Can't good handle for, a drink. sponsors there. Well done, Thomas. Good for the sponsors. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, interesting that, wasn't it? I mean, in terms of Nice, Marseille, Payet. I mean, listen, there's one thing, you know, you, you have an idiot who throws something onto the pitch. You know, I mean, that's one thing, right? But then for the player to pick it up and throw it back, I mean, it's just that utter stupidity, right? Um, and interestingly, from what I was, what I, what I saw of the the, I think it was the the president of Marseille then came on and gave a video um, sort of uh, 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 interview about the reasons why Marseille didn't come back on again. With in dis- discussions with the referee, they also the referee also agreed it was too unsafe to go back out and play the game. Apparently, it was the league that insisted that the game continued. And therefore, because the, ref, the Marseille had spoken to the referee, the referee also agreed it wasn't safe. They decided they weren't coming back out again and went and left the ground. Um, but, you know, you don't want to see that stuff, like Thomas was saying. I mean, it's horrendous. That sort of behaviour, sometimes, unfortunately, it happens. Um, for me, I mean, I, I've never really had that, that, that issue, that situation where I've had player, sorry, fans run on the pitch. I mean, I've had fans run on the pitch. I mean, the best one was when Gazza was playing with us and a woman ran on the pitch com- uh, completely top- topless and ended up finding herself right in front of Gazza. And of course, Gazza opened his arms up and gave her a big hug because that's what she wanted. And I think she gave him a big <laughs> kiss on the cheek. Um, so that was a more lighter version and happier version and funnier version. I remember that one well, Swartzy. I remember it well. Yeah, it was cold as well. Jesus. 
it was a freezing night as well up at, uh, on the riverside. Well, so, you know, uh, she was game. The colder it is, the less the wear in the northeast, mate. <laughs> Absolutely. Bridgie, I just no, I agree with the boys. You can't, you can't be seen to react and doing things like that. I remember there was two incidents that we had um, at Leeds United when we travelled to Turkey. Sadly, mm. one of them was Galatasaray when we lost Kevin and Chris. Um, to the tragic stabbing over there. But during the game, we didn't want it to go ahead. There was, you know, the the reception that we got there with the armoured trucks following us in with the water cannons, getting the police escort into the ground, the tunnel of police coming out. And Harry Keel went to take a corner and he got absolutely pelted with coins. Absolutely pelted. And I just remember Harry, like, picking them up and, and he was thinking, I, he was, you know, gesturing that he was going to throw them back, but he, thankfully he didn't. And he put them down. He, I think he put a couple of them down his sock, which I thought was quite humorous. But the next time we went there again, it must be a thing. Turkish fans must just have shitloads of money because when I was, I got injured against Besiktas, snapped my leg, and I remember getting stretched off. And as I was looking up at the sky, um, I had Dave Hancock, the physio, like looking over us saying, what have you done? I said, don't know, mate. I'm in absolute agony. And I looked up and it just looked like stars. And the stars were getting closer and getting bigger. And then all of a sudden, just started hitting me and Dave Hancock and the guys that were carrying the stretcher. I was getting pelted with silver coins. And Dave Hancock actually leant over me to protect us and got hit on the back of the head with a bottle. And he almost knocked himself out and he was on the stretcher as well. So two times in Turkey that I've... Yeah, I've had really, really bad memories of that with these, um, with the coins and the the abuse that you get. It must have been personal, Bridgie. Um, absolutely. I mean, understandably, probably. You know, they probably um, thought I we, need a bit no, more. That money. would happen anywhere in the world, I think. Yes, yes, I think so as well. Um, especially if he goes to Tottenham or if he goes to Leeds, you know, because he just doesn't know. Can't just, make his mind up. Just Sunderland, tormenting the button up without sending the gold coins down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, I remember actually there was an instance where we didn't even play the game. We were on our way to the game. We, the second game um, against Uruguay back in 2001, the World Cup qualifier, arrived at the airport, got spat out, punches thrown as we were leaving the terminal. Um, and then when we arrived, uh, sorry, basically from that point onwards, we had a military uh, sort of uh, escort um, arriving at the stadium. I mean, the police on mounted, mounted horses, massive big swords, shotguns. It was insane. During the game, um, at the end of the game, there was there were like people were breaking up bits of the stadium and throwing concrete boulders at us. Um, and there's like a moat around the, the, the pitch, high fences. Man, it was a great throw. Seriously, unbelievable. The distance they threw it was pretty impressive, I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the fa- infamous, famous moments of Australian football, and uh, yeah, full of well, we know lessons learned for the next time around yeah, too. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, and that, that's a whole episode in it in its own right. Gents, finishing off with a couple of quick ones. Um, Ange Postecoglou against Steven Gerrard this weekend in the, in Scotland. Rangers against Celtic, six in a row for Big Ange. Um, y- your impressions of that, and and. I mean, what a stage this is, Bridgie. What a stage. Yeah, it is absolutely set. You know, he had a little bit of a, a rocky start in the Champions League coming in. He hadn't had much time to to get his, um, you know, his philosophy and playing style over at the group of players that went out there straight away. The media were on Ange's back after the Champions League. And I think he's handled the media tremendous. And the way the players have come out and embraced his, his style of play and, and the, the goals and the chances that they are creating with the amount of numbers Celtic get forward. It's great to hear 
pundits and um, people now saying, you know, it's the most exciting football Celtic have seen in a long time. Now, we, we've witnessed Ange on several occasions what he's done. He's a serial winner. And like I said to you, I tried to get Martin Baines to get him as the Sunderland manager um, before they got Chris Coleman in. And that was, you know, that was on the, the Netflix documentary, Sunderland Till I Die. And I was, you know, they were saying he's too much of a small name. Nobody would know him. Well, you've got to do your research. You've got to find out what he's all about. And I'm just delighted that he has gone to Celtic and shown what he's worth. And this is going to be a massive, massive game because I think it's the first time that um, Celtic fans fancy this against Rangers. Well, this is the one, isn't it, Schwartzy? This is the one that changes everything if he gets a good result here. It does. Um, and and listen, he, he's done incredibly well. He really has against all the odds, really. The expectation was that he was going to fall flat on his face. Um, the reservation I had was how long it took sometimes for, for Ams to get his philosophy across to his team. Um, that hasn't been an issue, really. Like Bridgie said, the first couple of games, which is completely accepted or, or expected to a degree. The only thing is it was a Champions League game, the amount of money that's involved. And, and that's, that's the only kind of, I suppose, small cross against his name. But everything else since then has been, been phenomenal. Um, and they go into the game in better form, um, looking better than Rangers. But again, as we know, with with the uh, with the big derbies up there, um, anything's possible. And the fans and are back this year as well. It's going to be unbelievable. <clears throat> yep. So you know, it, this is the one, isn't it? This is the one because people people will judge him even yep. more so on this if, game. If he can get a result, it's um, Celtic or away. That's correct. Yeah, it's at Rangers. Yep. If he can get a result yep. away from home against Rangers. Um, the, these are the only two results he needs to win this season for him to go down in folklore history at Celtic. There you go. Yeah, and by the way, just spoke about Champions League was disappointing, but they're two 0 up, up two 0 up against RZ going into the second leg. Uh, it's away, but in the Europa League playoff too. So European football, in some way, shape, or form, can certainly recover that. You know, that was that was a huge, huge curveball walking into the club and having a Champions League qualifier within the first couple of weeks. So that'll be another way to, to redeem it as well. Hey, Tommy, another. Aussie thing to you, but one that we've got a bit of alignment here. Have you? What about Harry Suter suiting up for your old mob Stoke? Man of the match. He's worn the armband. He scored a, some. He scored some goals. Um, Stoke are going well, and there's a few eyes on Harry Suter as well as a potential player that that might be. You know, might be one that Stoke can make some money out of in the next uh, window or two. Yeah, no, I, I'm hoping that he'll stay for the season. I think, uh, you know, he's uh, he's definitely an up-and-coming. I, I love what he's, you know, the way he's burst onto the scene with the Socceroos. Um, you know, I uh, watched him closely at the Olympics. Um, you know, he's got the stature for the for, for the championship, for sure. Uh, definitely definitely he, for Stoke. Oh, come on, Bridget. We've moved on, Bridget. <laughs> we're we're fast-flowing, you know, <laughs> playing out from the back sort of team. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, 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 again, I think he can still add things to the game. So, so I think, you know, if he can stay there, potentially make it into the Premier League, if, if they can continue the good form, um, I still have my doubts, but, uh, you know, or he can then, you know, uh, go to a bigger club because I, I think he's, uh, he's got a great future. Uh, he's got the size, uh, he's got the attitude, um, you know, he's that good old center half, you know, he can put his body in the way. And, and can still play with his feet. Um, and, and then, 
you know, with the more games he, he can get, the better he, he will be and uh, will be good for Socceroos. Uh, and I'm sure he'll either stay at Stoke uh, and go to the Premier League or, or he'll move on. Uh, but I hope he'll stay for, for Stoke's sake and for his own sake. I hope he stays this season uh, and, and keeps proving that that he's, uh, he's the player he is. Schwartz, a lot of fans here are curious who our next player in the Premier League might be. Obviously, Caleb Watts is, is, is in the Southampton squad at the moment. I mean, there's a few kids on the fringes. But but would you say Harry Suter probably is the possibly the safest bet if you had to make a prediction for the next one in? Probably, yeah. I mean, currently, yeah, I would, I would think so. Um, if he continues to turn heads, if he continues to put in performances like he has, um if he does it for the next four or five months, January, I think in January, I think he'll be gone. Um, I think there'll be a couple of teams in the Prem that will be certainly be keeping an eye on him already. And come January, there'll be a couple of teams, injuries, whatever it is, in a bit of trouble, whatever, and be looking at bringing in a player that could potentially make a difference. Let's hope. Let's watch this space. We'll see We'll see who's happy, the Stoke fans or the Australian fans, come January next year. Gents, thank you so much for your time today across the globe, across Australia, across the state. Um, but it's been good fun as ever and hopefully a bit of entertainment for everyone at home um, getting through these days. And we'll get through these days and we'll keep watching football to do so. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, good night to you, Schwartz, and good, have a good day to you, gents, as well. Thank you, you guys. I just hope sports gets through the next five weeks in, in Spain. You know, that's what I'm worried about. Listen, um, it's going to be a struggle. And I'll be thinking about you guys. And I'll need your, uh, your encouragement and your enthusiasm to help me through it. But I'll, just I'll keep make up sure, there as well. We'll, make check, sure in. You don't we'll go check in for, next week. Make sure you don't go for a swim in the Mediterranean Sea there and do a backstroke because the shark alarms will go off with your nose sticking out the water. Enjoy. Mate, first, firstly, I'll just say to you, I've got no problems about not swimming in the Med because I'm nowhere near the Med. I'll sleep. I'll swim in the Atlantic, um, and uh, <laughs> I'll be fine, mate. No Bridget is just on a mic drop. He's just walked off. <laughs> uh, we went an hour. We went an hour. The best lines just come right at the end. Right at the end. We're gonna have to flip it around so everyone can hear that. <laughs> oh, take care. Enjoy lockdown, everybody. Stay safe. Thanks again. Enjoy, Enjoy guys. Good stuff. See you, man. And there you go. And everyone yeah. out there, as ever, until the next episode of the Gaga Pod, there is so much football, so enjoy. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.